Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Okay, so um, today we're going to be uh, studying the Magavaga, which I believe is the 20th chapter of the Dharma Pada. Uh, it's another humdinger. I want you to strap yourselves in. There's a lot here. I, I hope to be able to do it um, vague justice. Um, so let's, um, let's get on with it. The Buddha's words. Of all paths, the Eightfold Path is unsurpassed. Of all truths, the Four Noble Truths are incomparable. The noblest attainment is this passion. The one who knows, in John's words, the Buddha, is foremost among teachers. So I think immediately um, we, we pick up on something we discussed at the end of last Saturday's class uh, about how um, as we get towards the end of the, of the Dhammapada, um, the sort of the, the teachings and the insights become increasingly sort of refined and direct. I mean, they're always direct, but very, very specific. Now we're looking at, we're looking at, you know, the how to here. So the, the four noble truths and the eightfold path. Um, and, 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 and the Buddha continues that there is only one path, the eightfold path. There is no, no other path for the purification of insight. Develop this path and you will abandon ignorance. Um, and I think the reason there's so much confusion out there is because there are so many paths that we are, that are suggested to us. Um, and some of those paths even have nuggets of, um, of wisdom in them. Some of them even obviously take the Buddha's teachings. Um, but I think the, the problem in many cases with all of the other paths that exist out there is that they sort of take these nuggets of, of wisdom as a way or almost by saying do this in order to establish yourself in the world right so it's always that sense of um uh you know do this in order to um you know um have a have a kinder existence in a future life or in order to find success in in your career or in order to find a happy relationship or marriage or whatever it, 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 it might be. And I think that's why we, there's so much confusion out there because um, there are lots of paths and there are lots of, um, there's lots of interesting insights that many people and many people who have lived on this earth have given, but there's no path like, like, like the Dharma. There's no path like this path in terms of, 
as as the Buddha says here, the purification of 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 insight. The eightfold path is the path leading to the full understanding and cessation of um, suffering. Now, if we were to ask the world, how many people want to end their suffering? I'm sure everyone will say, yeah, I don't want to suffer. The problem though, again, is that most of us, we don't want to suffer, but, but we also want other things. So again, coming back to that sort of confusion around the teaching, it's like, okay, I don't want to suffer, but I also want to attain this, or I don't want this to happen. So uh, there's that there's that um, sense of, um, you know, having your cake and eating it, right? Whereas the, the, the Buddha's teachings are just saying, no, if you follow this path, this is how you'll end suffering. Everything else you have to let go of. And I think that's what so many of us um, uh, in this world, myself included at times, have str uh, struggle with, right? Because we, we want to end suffering, but on certain conditions, um, that it, as long as we get what we want. The Buddha's words, I have made known the path I discovered for removing the thorn of craving so this is the sort of but also form right that form of craving um that we that we that we um, um that, that often sort of um, afflicts us or or, or or tempts us the awakened uh, awakened ones describe the path but you alone must walk those well concentrated who walk this path are released from the bonds of Mara. And so Mara, I, I, I said earlier ignorance, but Mara and ignorance, I think, are sort of one and the same thing, um, if you like. Mara being a, a, a metaphor um, for, for, for ignorance. Um, and this, this sort of theme of concentration and the importance of concentration comes up here and it comes up a little bit later um, um, as well. Um, and I've just in the last week myself just realized how or been reminded of how important concentration is. And it, it's 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 the concentration is is the is is what provides us with that that moment, that opportunity for insight, that opportunity to to let go of 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 craving or or aversion. And you know, one of the things I I do every so often now um, is I uh, I leave the, uh, I leave the home and I, I did it this afternoon actually I went for a walk um, around uh, where I'm staying Singapore and I went on the metro and I, le I left my phone at home and I'm just so curious every time I do it because I'm I, I get in the subway and then I'm I'm I mean I must look a bit a bit of a creep because I'm kind of looking over everyone's shoulder trying to figuring out what they're doing with their phones because everybody I, I i'm regularly sort of checking you know what are people doing when they're left to their own devices and that every single like 90 percent are on their phone and just 
just you know swiping or just just going from one distraction to the next to the next to the next to the next um and and it, it you know it really it really sort of hits home every time i observe it just how difficult it is to be well concentrated in this world um and of course i can be that person as well that's that's caught in in their phone and is and is and is um distracted by it it's just the fact that when i leave it at home i realize it, it's easier to observe that 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 in others um and of course this was an issue in the buddha's time i i i wonder if concentration was such a challenge back then as it is today um but then i feel that they may have had other challenges um it was a, a pretty sort of brutal world back back then wasn't it so uh, I'm sure there were other things that were that were taking um, uh, taking away people's concentration, um, but anyway, that's the world that we live in, and I think the the importance of of getting our digital habits under some form of control is um, is is so so crucial if we're to um, make progress on this path. Okay, continuing with the Buddha's words, understand this. All conditioned beings um, that arise will pass away. So I think by conditioned, sorry, all conditioned things, I'm not sure if I said that first time, that arise will pass away. So I think here, all conditioned things, we're, we're, we're referring in particular to, uh, you know, the thoughts and feelings that we, that we have and that will um, uh, pop up constantly in, in, our, um, in our lives. Understanding this, the disciple ends clinging and turns away from disappointment. <coughs> this is my path to purification. Understand this. All conditioned things are not self. Understanding this, the disciple ends clinging and turns away from disappointment. This is my path to purification. So this idea of, of, of not self, I think, is, is um, talking about the fabricated views that we, that we create and that we, um, that we create of ourselves and of others. You know, it's what I, I hope I am and it's what I hope you think I am as well right like that's that is the sort of fabricated view that we have of ourselves and it's also if I were to reflect on all of the things in my life that have caused suffering the most suffering they all of them have have one thing in common which is that I wanted to control them I identified with them and I wanted to control them I wanted them to be a certain way and and I never could. And this is why it caused so much suffering. Because it's not self. You can't control. This is not, this is not um, me. This is not mine. This is not um, what I am. And as such, these things are going to be out of our control. And I think there's that delusion that we, that we, that we insist on being able to control them. Buddha continues, understand this, all conditioned things are disappointing. Understanding this, the disciple ends clinging and turns away from disappointment.
this is my path to purification. So again, all, all conditioned things are disappointing. We, as human beings, we are disappointing. But that's okay, right? It's okay for us to be a little bit disappointing sometimes. It's okay for us to be disappointed sometimes because that's the nature. That's what it means to, to live on this, life, on, on, on this earth as a human being. Um, it's, it's inherent in our, in our um, uh, nature. Though young and strong, they waste their lives through laziness and vanity. Such a person remains blind to the path. So, yeah, just a quick comment on um, the, the young and the strong. I thought that it's interesting that, that you know, that, that he sort of alludes here to youth. Um, in particular, and this idea that people have everything, they have everything at their disposal, right? When we're young and we're strong, and yet perhaps at that age, we're even more prone to, yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to establish ourselves in the world, right? We want to establish our ego in the world. We're even more clinging to, to that. And perhaps when we get a bit older, the, the reason, um, you know, we don't have um, all that many people in their 20s in the Sangha is perhaps because we've, we've, we've done that already, right? We've tried to, um, we've, we've tried to, to um, you know, we've, we've bought that line and it hasn't really paid dividends for us, right? We've, we've, we've tried to establish ourselves in the world. We've tried to get satisfaction through um, many other things, right? We've tried clinging to so many things and yet somehow um, it hasn't quite been as satisfying as we thought it would be. And so that's why we're drawn to um, these remarkable teachings. At least that's that's probably my my um, my take on it. Be interested to hear your thoughts later. Um, a person well concentrated and mindful of thoughts, words, and deeds avoids hurting themselves and others. Purifying themselves through the Eightfold Path, they complete the path taught by this great sage. Wisdom rests on jhana. Without jhana, wisdom fades. I have known these two paths, one of progress, one of decline. Develop jhana and increase wisdom. I love these two really short lines at the beginning here. Wisdom rests on jhana. It's so clear. Without jhana, wisdom fades. And um, that, that jhana, that concentration is so fleeting, isn't it? Um, and again, I can just think of, I've, I've been sort of reading this sutta a few times this week, and I've noticed how concentration has come and gone throughout the week. And I know, I've noticed also how that has affected me. It, my concentration 
has been with me in some, I mean, nothing too catastrophic, right? But in some slightly darker moments of the week, I've had concentration and it's been okay. And then I've had some, actually some like joyful moments this week, but I ended up losing concentration and I ended up suffering as a result. Um, and it just, it just hit home how fleeting concentration is. Um, but the most important thing is that I know it's been there. So I've had moments of concentration. I've had moments of jhana, and that's all I need to remind myself of the power of this practice and the potential for awakening that, that we all um, have. Um, and it, it just keeps, keeps me motivated. I just, just have to keep doing the work and um, be a bit more concentrated on a more regular, uh, regular basis as, as much as I can. Um, and okay. Cut down the forest of craving and the underbush, but not the tree of truth. The forest of desire brings fear. Clear cut desire, fear, and delusion. Dispassion is Nibbana. So dispassion might not make you a millionaire, right? Not like all of these other philosophies and paths out there that say, you know, um, end suffering, but also chase some dream um, or, you know, cling to this, that or the other. Um, but this passion can bring Nibbana, which is liberation. And, and surely there's nothing more worth um, working towards and, and aspiring to uh, Van Bat. As long as the underbush of desire is maintained, the most subtle form of this stress, the stress of physical craving, remains. This one's mind is in bondage to ignorant views like a sucking pig. So again, I um, just, again, all of this is the, the, the brilliance of the Dharma and the relevance of Dharma because everything I'm reading here, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can relate it to my most recent experiences. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can as well in your own ways. Um, I, I had, because I'm in a different time zone um, to what I'm used to, I've had lots of issues sleeping the last sort of week or so with jet lag. And I've, I was doing all of the right things. I've been meditating a lot and I've been, I've been reading, um, you know, uh, uh, suttas and I've been trying to relax. And, and then I just lie in bed and I'd be like, damn it, I can't sleep. It's not fair. You know, I'm doing all of the right things. And yet I just can't sleep. And I could feel that most, and I read these lines and actually the notes I wrote, so I've, I've got it on my, um, thanks to, uh, this was Mary's suggestion to get one of these, by the way, it's great. Um, it's like a, a, a Kindle that you can write on. Um, anyway, and I, I actually wrote some of my notes at like 4 a.m. in the morning um, earlier this week. And I read these lines, I was like, I'm that most subtle form of stress because there was still deep down, I was lying in bed, there was still something deep down in, inside of me, some sort of urge to not accept this, that moment as it was. And I felt it. If I, and I, the more concentrated I got, the more 
I, I felt it and I still couldn't quite let go of it, which is what caused me, of course, the suffering and which as a result, of course, I wasn't able to sleep. Um, but, it, you know, again, once, it, once you shine a light on it, you do open up that because I hadn't even realized that I was resisting as much as I was. And then as soon as I sh shone a light on it, it just became a little bit easier. And eventually I was able to let go and just, you know, accept whatever happens. You sleep or you don't sleep. Uh, you're tired or you're not tired you still don't necessarily have to suffer abandon craving as one would remove an autumn lotus remain mindful and cultivate only one path to nirvana the one made known by me uh, i must confess i don't quite understand the reference to the autumn lotus but maybe later on uh, if someone wants to clear that up they can um the fool plans for the seasons while ignoring the danger of living death. So I think this comes back to, um, again, the urgency that we were talking about last week, right? This, in, 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 in the kindest, gentlest way possible, we should, um, you know, we have an opportunity, no should, we have an opportunity to really take this seriously and and to um and to awaken it's worth it's worth putting the effort in it's worth showing right effort um and i think the buddha here is reminding us of that urgency it's now it's not next week it's not on retreat in in a month's time it's now right death carries away the person clinging to worldly entanglements just as a great flood carries away a sleeping village yeah again brilliant brilliant um <coughs> don't don't sleepwalk through life no friends or family can save one from death the wise understand and hasten to clear the path to awakening and that's the end of the sutta thank you tom um all right so let's go around the room i think brian you're first up thank you my friend um yeah there's a lot packed in here <laughs> um i guess the thread that was coming out to me that i was pulling on was the the relationship between dispassion and concentration and there's a a, a positive feedback loop between those two items that the more dispassion that you have the the easier it is to concentrate because it's that passion that pulls us away from concentration and if you think about the people on the train with the phones and their heads down it's just like that that's the living death of distraction yeah like you, I, I just it's like living in a zombie apocalypse like I've said that before it's just it's 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 tragic yeah. And so the, the gift that we have to develop this dispassion and to develop this concentration so we can have our heads up and face life, it's just a tremendous blessing. So thank you for the teaching. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the dispassion is, it's wise restraints again, isn't it? It's um, mm -hmm. same, same thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really, it's, they, they do feed off each other and they support each other as well. Um, yeah. Thanks, Brian um i don't uh jeff 
Over to you. <laughs> they learn how to operate. There you go. We can hear you. Okay, good. Uh, great job, Tom. This is very good teaching. Um, I'm, I'm struck with how often the theme returns and comes up where where the the admonition is to clear things, abandon things, as opposed to gather and accumulate. Mm. Uh, you know that that tendency for us to want to grasp onto things and and uh, master things and be in control of things in order to bolster our own sense of self worth, as it were. And it, this clearly is another reminder that we're trying to clear a path, not actually build a path. There, there's plenty more in there, but that's that's what seems to me to be the resounding repeating message here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same for me. Thanks, um, Jeff. Is, is Deborah there? I am off camera. He's lurking here in the background. I, I, I um, thank you for your teaching uh, this morning. For us, it's morning. I'm not sure what time it is where you're at. It's, it's um, nighttime. It's what nighttime. Good night. <laughs> um, abandonment, like Jeff was talking about. I. I just got through abandoning school for the year. Oh, congratulations. Very, very happy about that. There was a lot of dukkha. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm glad that dukkha's over. I have one more item of abandonment, but I don't know when that's going to happen. And that brings me even more dukkha. You're, you're, you're not going to abandon Jeff, I hope. Well, I hope not. Yeah, she gave up on that. <laughs> okay. However, <laughs> We have a path that we're clearing in order for that dukkha to be abandoned. So, yeah. thank you. For your, yeah, thank you for your teaching and um, sleep well. Yeah, thank you, uh, Kevin. Good morning, hi everybody. Thank you, Tom. It was great. This. Um, I don't know, the, the sutta is so simple and so complex and so deep at the same time. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I just, you know, we talk about dispassion. It's really, dispassion is calm. And Buddha has often reminded us, um, we, we train only for calm. So, and this is the path that can do it. So if we can do that, we can abandon craving. And he just, you know, it's just so beautiful way it's all written and you brought it out to us very nicely thank you thanks kevin uh mary good morning good morning everyone uh great job tom and um you know nothing's lost in the fact that you're in a different time zone like this is as effective as uh as it can be and so that's good so really nice job um, and, you know, I wrote down wisdom rests on jhana, 
you know, and if I, if I can come back to that uh, more often. And also the conversation you were having around control, that it's a delusion that we insist on having control that, um, you know, that, that it's, it's obvious in just the saying of that sentence that there will be suffering just as a result of living in that delusion that you can have control and that that type of conditioned thinking leads to all sorts of disappointment. It makes so much sense, um, and, uh, but harder to live for sure. Um, but wisdom rests on Jhana. That's what I'm gonna take with me for the day. So thank you. Very nice job, Tom. Really yeah, thanks, Mary. thanks, Mary. Um, great, let's go into the room. Uh, I can see Zach, um, I, or, or, or Ram, or Zach. Let's, should we go to Zach or Ram? You wanna go, Ram? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Ram, what about you? And then, and then we go, let me go round the room, um, uh, whatever that is, that's clockwise, isn't it? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. <clears throat> All right, thank you. Um, yeah, you picked the humdinger here. It had, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're getting into the mother load. Mm. Uh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> the little nugget that, that popped out at me was that he talked about, you know, cutting down the, the trees of desire and the underbrush. And I like the underbrush because, uh, you know, we, we, we see the, the, the grand desires, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I, want, uh, I want to be this thing in life. Mm. Um, I, um, I want to avoid, you know, the, the great death. I want to avoid sickness and, 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 um, and those things, but what's impeding your life more is the niggledy pickledy stuff, mm -hmm. the everyday stuff. That's what's what's holding you back. The the you know walking out the door. Oh God, it's raining. You know, mm -hmm. uh, or walking out the door and oh God, it's too hot. Um, you know, missing missing the the, the first uh, car in the in, on the subway. Um, you know, getting your coffee just not quite right, uh, and on and on and on. This is the stuff that grinds you down. This is the stuff that that um, really feeds your discontent. This is what your discontent is made of. For some people, it's the big stuff because they early in life were, were set up for that. You know, in, in a family situation, you can, you, can be, you can be told you'll never amount to anything and, and that, will, that will drive your discontent. But for most people, it's the underbrush. It's, it's what happens minute to minute where uh, <clears throat> there, there is your, your discontent and you can't even see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, 
and cut down the underbrush and and don't cut down the, the tree of truth and and almost also the underbrush is sometimes the easiest place to start as well isn't it if that if that major sort of um issue in your life you know i, I mean i've noticed sometimes that that just yeah i don't know changing my expectations of the weather for the day and accepting the fact that it's not quite that can be almost i i i i definitely see where you're where you're going that that's the stuff that grinds you down it also can be the the entry point for some people right just when you start practicing the dharma and you'll say oh wait actually it doesn't matter if it's if it's raining or it's sunny i can it, it doesn't need to to dictate my mood right so yeah Interesting. You know, I, I love that metaphor as well. Of, uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a brilliant one, isn't it? And it and it yeah. has much you can unpack from it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for adding that. That's great. Thank you. All right, Zach. Good morning. Thank you, Tom, for the teaching. You you just said entry point, and I was thinking about whether or not I'd say this, but if I ever bring my sister into the Dhamma. It's going to have to be taught by you by someone with a British accent. Is that <laughs> that is going to be the most <laughs> efficient entry point uh, to to maintain uh, attention? Um, yeah, this this teaching for me, as 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 usual, I think just based off where I am in my understanding, I read it, understood some of it, and and the sangha really brings out, and the teaching really brings out, teacher really brings out so much. So thank you all for that. I think that I actually struggle with, um, and somebody tell me if I'm going outside Sangha rules here, um, but I struggle with the beginning of the, the, the teaching here because it sounds to me there's a lack of humility that I'm accustomed to in the teachings. Um, I grew up with... Uh, I, the Lord, am your God who led you out of Egypt to be your God. I, the Lord, am your God. And uh, this is the path. And, and I think I've heard from folks in the room, and I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth, that this is the best path that, path that we know of. This is the one that, that has helped the folks in this room understand. And the beginning of the sutta feels pretty um, uh, um, I don't want to say directive that's not the right word because I think a lot of this is obviously directive but it, it feels almost almighty in a way and and I think the Buddha refers to himself as like the wise sage or the one who knows whereas I, I haven't come across that kind of language before mm -hmm. and I think just again, based off of my conditioning and some of the things that I have an aversion to, uh, it, it hits a different chord than, than other ones have before. So kind of wanted to open that up if it's fair yeah. discussion. I would, I'm going to pass this over to, to other people in the room because I think they'll be better qualified to talk about it than me. I guess just the way I interpret it is, is there's clarity there. Right. And I think that the Buddha offers us a lot of clarity in the teaching and confidence that this is 
a path that works. And I think he needs to communicate that. I feel where it's different because I also grew up in, you know, for a little bit of context, my, my, my family is I mean, extremely religious and, and uh, my father's actually a, a, used to be a pastor in, the, in a church. So I'm very familiar with that language of, of sort of, you know, the savior. And I feel that the one thing that's definitely missing here, which is super important for me is this idea of putting the Buddha himself on a pedestal. So he's not saying, um, you know, um, like worship me. He's just saying, this is a very clear path to, um, um, to, to, to living a life, which is, which involves less and even no suffering, the no, no, unnecessary suffering no second arrow suffering um so i feel that that that's how i interpret it i don't look at it as as sort of yeah um you know the the buddha is our savior or or, or anything like that um but i do i i know where you're coming from i mean it's it's you know it's a language which is very sort of it's so confident the language isn't it that it could be interpreted that way um but let me allow anyone else in the room or anyone else who wants to contribute on that i think thank you john <laughs> me i pick you john you answer okay. that yeah all right what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh there's a line here that all conditioned things are not self, and it relates to this topic as well. Uh, what it means is that the way the views that we hold of ourselves do not constitute an actual human being. They're not self. So there's nothing mystical or annihilation like to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Buddha is establishing throughout this Dhammapada and and especially right here in this chapter, and you, you really presented it wonderfully well, Tom. Uh, a lot of great insight, I mean, your personal um, examples were really right on. So the Buddha also says many other times, he says, I do this, he got up off his cushion at the age of 35 and started teaching out of, out of sympathy for others, out of compassion for others. And so, of course, he's going to say, if you really want to awaken, gain full human maturity, you have to focus here. And so you've heard me say uh, that the Eightfold Path is a limiting path. And this suit, this chapter speaks directly to that. And Zach and I had a wonderful conversation yesterday. So we live within the framework of the Eightfold Path, but it doesn't mean that we're not in the world. It doesn't, it, it doesn't provide annihilation, but what it actually gives us is a mindful presence in our life right here, right now. This is the path, this is the view, and this is how I can fully be engaged in my life without having the contradictions and the conflict that comes from living within a conditioned mind a mind that's conditioned by greed and aversion rooted in deluded thinking. So if I want to awaken, and I remember as I was writing and restoring the sutta, 
to what it's likely that the Buddha actually said, rather than magical, mystical things, is, yeah, this is my path. And when I integrated the Eightfold Path as best as I could, that's when things actually changed. So I started looking for salvation when I was 26. And I wouldn't find it for another 10 years, approximately, um, because I saw this. And because I was so really desperate for something that made sense to me that I could actually um, integrate into my life. It was, it became ever, as my concentration increased using jhana meditation, and then being mindful of the Eightfold Path, as that continued to increase in me, I was able to recognize how much of my life was based on seeking salvation, thinking that I wasn't good enough for this world or I wasn't enough for this world, uh, or that the world wasn't giving me what I wanted all the time, rather than just understanding that, understanding that first noble truth as a consequence of having a human life, I'm going to condition my thinking that causes suffering. There is suffering, there is dukkha as a consequence of having a human life. But I can develop concentration and right view so that I'm not sticking in that second arrow, that I don't get caught up in, do I need to control this moment rather than just be present for sometimes the, the conflicting and chaotic manner of human life. It's not always like that. But if I want to get to that point, I have to maintain focus. Where does that begin? Mary mentioned it, that without jhana, there's no wisdom, there's no knowledge, there's no integration of the Dhamma. And what jhana teaches us is to stay focused. So there's that um, Uh, the holistic manner of the Eightfold Path is why it actually works. Meaning mm -hmm. that this is it. This is how human beings can flourish in their human life without getting distracted by dukkha, without that understanding. So I think that's enough on that subject. Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, 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 the confidence that <laughs> comes out of those, those first few lines is because he had his own discontent to deal with and that was his burning question yeah. and he mined that out to the bottom and got to the point where this discontent was gone yeah and so what he's saying here is this is the path and i can say that because I walked the path yeah. fully and I got to the end. I got to awakening. That's why I present this to you as it is whole and it works. So that's what you're hearing it, here. It, in, really, in this it really comes out of a profound experience mm -hmm. that led to a profound confidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really the confidence that's coming that that's causing him to say say things the way he said it. It's not self-righteousness. 
it's mm. the confidence that he had because he had the ultimate empathico moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It, it was a bold statement then, and it continues to be a bold statement because conditions haven't changed in the world. The Four Noble Truths are still applicable, and we still have many paths, lineages, practices that are simply a distraction. And all of them are um, legitimate. Being a, being a devout, devoted Catholic or Muslim or any other religion, is legitimate to what you're doing. You believe in it. Mm -hmm. What motivated me is I couldn't believe in that stuff. I wanted to. I wanted to be a part of, you know, first the church when I was a kid, but it didn't make sense. And I you know, saw things even as an eight-year-old that I couldn't accept. And as I got older, there was nothing else out there. But, but the, uh, out of sympathy for others, the Buddha makes a bold statement. I know what it is. I found out. But he but he doesn't stop there. He says, you don't have to believe me. Even in the Kalama Sutta, he references, don't believe me, believe yourself. You must experience this for yourself. It's not faith, you're not salvation, you're not trying to fix anything. You're, we're just trying to understand what it means to be a human being. And in a world that is rooted in ignorance, the first noble truth, and according to the Buddha at least, that's the nature of the world we live in. It's always going to be that way. Maybe in a Nothing. million years, we'll, have, we'll develop something else. But this is it. And that, that is a pretty bold statement for the Buddha to, stay, to say. But it's also a rather bold statement for us to say mm -hmm. here. Right? That we're, we, in this room, you know, we, this is the path we practice. And we don't get into other things. And it seems to work yeah it and it's, it's you know i can i could talk i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't quite speak in these terms but i could talk very confidently about how the dharma works more confidently than i could talk about how good my business is right even though i believe in my business and i use it to whatever earn money and i have to believe in it there's a level of conviction i have in the dharma that goes beyond anything i do as an entrepreneur and that's because it's grounded in something, a very sure footing, which is my own direct experience of yeah. Yeah. and of watching yeah. stuff rise and fall. And I think just, just a, a final comment on that, at least for me, is um, what's the alternative to him being showing conviction? Because there are so many paths back there and just like there are today. If he were to sort of say, well, you can try <laughs> and it might work for you. Then there's, there's so much out there, aren't there? It would be like, oh, no, 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 wait. They would take the Buddha's wisdom, but then add on, oh, but you can also, you know, you can also have, right? Coming back to that idea, but also, also have this, right? And so, so I think, I think that's why he's being so clear on it and saying, no, this is, it really is. If you want to end suffering, I mean, if you want to get rich or you want to um, have um, several wives or you want to do whatever you want to do, there are other paths to doing that, right? But if you want to end suffering in your life, this is, this is the only way to do it. Um, uh, you know, so, so, so I, think, I think that's what he's sort of trying to get at. Um, but yeah, and I, I definitely know what you're thinking. And I, I, I did have in the back of my mind, because again, we're, I'm brought up, you know, in the UK, to be very polite and very kind of 
supposed to be humble and this, that, and the other. So I read it and I had the same, the same, you know, I, I was inclined to, to, or that thought went through my head as well. So it's a great question. Yeah. And just uh, to add a little bit more, it was a great question. It just got a good discussion. It, it, this is also a reference to taking true refuge in the Dhamma. And you, the way that that was talked about, particularly in the Tibetan tradition that I took vows in, um, is we take refuge in the Buddha as our savior, rather than taking refuge in an understanding that this man was just a human being like us, a remarkable human being, but just a human being. And he never held himself out as anything other than a human being who's, it, but he said, and I was the first one to figure it out. But he didn't say that you can't do it. In fact, he spent the last 45 years of his life teaching anybody who was interested how to do it. Mm. So we take refuge because of our own developing confidence to our experience. And we are, you know, like in the Anapanasati Sutta, where the Buddha is saying these accomplished monks and nuns here are rare in the world, even during the Buddha's time. Developing the Dhamma was a, was a rare thing. And we can see that here, but we, we've established that third refuge where we can do just what took place here and we do it every class. Uh, and, it, and it takes all of us. It took a wonderful question, an insightful and penetrating question from Zach, who's really just starting, but it gets right to that question. How important it is, it, is it to stay focused? Can I just do a six-fold path or a one-fold path, like I just kind of, you know, listen to meditation tapes at night, and that's going to somehow change my conditioned thinking. Of course, it won't, but this will. Yeah. Boy, I'm talking today. Right? <clears throat> All right, John, that's enough. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Sandra, Mom. I'll listen to you. Okay. Um, first of all, Tom, that was... That was brilliant. It was it was brilliant. Tom. Yeah, bloody brilliant. Bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really enjoyed listening to you. There was so much in there, um, and it resonated with me really beautifully today. So thank you, Tom. Ram, the underbrush. Mm. The mm. first thing I wrote down is. Clinging is in the moment. Yeah. The Clinging is in the moment. And the concentration allows moment-to-moment -moment Dhamma practice. The concentration that we try to establish in jhana. And I've been doing this since 2015. And still that concentration is so fleeting. And it's a it's an ongoing effort that is motivated and pushed by empathico moments that you have throughout the day, throughout the week, that, that keep you, that give you that, you know, that place to go. And when you're in it, when you're in one of those dark places, it seems as though you will not ever be out again. Mm. And sometimes, even mm. this, this happened to me this morning, sometimes you just have to, you well, of course, you just have to take a deep breath 
And then not sometimes I say, oh, maybe I should meditate, but you don't go meditate because you're trying to end something. So what you do is you be with it. It's here now. This is how I feel now. You be with it. And then you're with it for a while. And then you might sit down and take out a suda and read it. Mm -hmm. And when that happens and that, that right view comes back, it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're like, wow, this really works. Yeah. It works because you, it's you, you're doing it. And every time you meditate, you have a good meditation, which I tell you, I've been, my meditations have been very spottily good lately. Not, not that great, a lot of distraction. Um, but when you do have a good one, you realize how your mind works and you see your mind work. That's another, that's another thing that just keeps you going. It's just like, this works. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't have a, I'm a Mormon. My family was not that religious, but my, my, my grandparents were very religious and I went to seminary and I learned all this stuff. And I, I was like 16, I said, basically I've written in my seminary paper I'm sorry, I tried, but I don't believe this. <laughs> so I guess you weren't accepted into seminary. <laughs> well, I graduated from seminary, believe it or not. Oh. But uh, that was my my final paper. I, I gave it my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's an honest thing. Quite a way. Anyway, this I do. I this this works. This is something yeah. that's very wonderful to have in your life. Hmm? Yes, yeah, so just on the again, sorry, talk so just on the subject of jhana, we recommend two meditation sessions each day as our Dhamma practice, and that you use the recording on the website because that they're designed to continually reinforce the four foundations of mindfulness. I won't yeah. say another word for six or seven seconds. Me, me neither. I'm going to take noble silence next week. <laughs> It's a good segue to my question, though. So you Gee, might have to come back. Go. Of you. <laughs> um, thank you, Tom, for the teaching. And thanks, everybody, for your comments so far. I think what resonated for me as well as, as a relative newbie to the space was um, around the line that a bunch of us have picked up so far in our comments are without Jhana wisdom fades is, how, is the part of the phrase that I wrote down. And my question is, or something that I'm noodling on a lot is, I get how practicing jhana, as John reminds us to twice a day, like helps to cultivate that sense of concentration. But Tom, as you were speaking about your subway ride um, and just the idea of bringing jhana into your concentration, into your the parts of your day where you're not meditating, I was just wondering if people could comment about how you bring that sense of concentration into, oh, I'm at work or, I'm at the grocery store or, or um, yeah. the road. Um, so I'm, yeah, so, so I, I've, I've, um, 
I'm a bit of a geek on, I'm going to give you a slightly geeky answer. Um, but so, so I've been really, really interested in this and trying to bring in more moments of mindfulness into my day. Um, so, um, so I, I try to, I actually have a, I have a, an app on my phone, ironically, but which, um, it's like a habit forming app and, and, and you basically, it, you set yourself a list of habits that you want to do throughout the day. And, you know, one of them is, did I meditate in the morning? One is, did I meditate in the evening? And I just quickly check in each day and I'm like, okay, did I do it? Did I not? And I just, just tally it. And one of the challenges I give myself is to have, um, 10 mindful moments in a day outside of meditation. And so it's just a moment when I, I, I stop and I am aware and I just take in my surroundings and I take a breath. And then I, I ask myself, um, I think two questions, if I can, um, two questions. One is, um, well, first of all, I'll be like, you know, what am I just observing? What am I feeling? And then the second question would be based on that would be, is there any resistance at all to what I'm feeling in that moment? And then if there is, I would remind myself, okay, am I taking something personally? Or am I, am I forgetting that, that something is impermanent? Um, and, and then, so those are the questions I ask myself. And so sometimes I, I, when I have those mindful moments, I realize there isn't any resistance, right? I went for a walk this afternoon and I, was, and I, I, I managed to have a few mindful moments. And I was like, oh no. And then it's just a chance to literally, at least for me, you know, smell the roses, right? It's like, well, what do I have around me? I was, I was in the botanical gardens in Singapore and you've got these beautiful trees and, and it was a chance to really, so if there's no resistance, it's a chance to really see, see um, the world in vibrant color almost. Um, and if there is resistance, then it's always going to be one of those two things. I think um, you're taking something personally and, and or um, you, you've, you you're forgetting impermanence that everything just comes and goes and so so no, nothing was you know so there'll, there'll always be moments of slight dis, dissatisfaction so that's what i do so i've got i've got i set myself a target of 10 a day um i don't always um you know i don't always achieve that yeah. sorry sorry we were just commenting on like the the taskifying of mindfulness and like i, I get exactly. it that's very Dramatic as well. That's something that that's, resonates with me. But, brilliant answer. But I, if I could just push a little bit further, um, if it's okay, like mindful moments, I understand like stepping away from whatever it is that's going on and recentering yourself, I get. But like I'm in a moment in my life where I feel like I have so much life and there are so many things. And right. how do you bring your practice into it, I guess? Can I I'm Let's connect. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Deborah. Can I make a comment here, please? Oh, everybody's watching. Sure. Excellent. Oh, hold on, Deborah. Let's keep in mind what mindfulness is in this room. This mindfulness that we practice is the four foundations of mindfulness. It's very specific. Very refined. Very refined. And learn that. And that's mindfulness. And I have an app as well. It's called Dhamma. <laughs> and 
I'm <laughs> mindful of the four foundations moment by moment. So I don't have to do anything to prompt it. And that comes from concentration. And the purpose of mindfulness is that I have insights to the three marks. And the three marks are that I am sensitive to impermanence. And that gives me insight to anatta. And it gives me an understanding of dukkha. And that's the practice. How does you do all this? Anatta I sit twice a day. I come here twice a week. And the Buddha is my example. He's simply my example. He's not anything other than that. The Sangha is a place where I can come and hear questions and doubts and troubles and insights. And the Dhamma is what I practice. So it's a gentle practice because it's, it's kind of keeps you in the guardrails. So I don't have to have any special kind of mindfulness outside of the four foundations. Because within that four foundations is the Dhamma, your thoughts, your feelings, this body. And keep it simple. Don't try to worry about if the Buddha was arrogant or the Buddha was gentle. The Buddha was a man, a man that figured this out and shared it with us. So good, Deborah. Thank you. Okay, so you guys get to look at Jeff maybe now. <laughs> um, I wanted to share something that happened to me during the course of my school year this year. Um, many of you may not know that I am a paraprofessional in the special ed department at a high school. We in our particular classroom, we have a lot of students who are autistic or uh, have behavioral issues or learning issues. And that includes the teacher in the classroom who is SPED certified and another paraprofessional who's been in the business for eight years. So this was a newer environment because I had just come from mostly autistic environment. And they placed me in this room because they felt I was really good with the difficult children that have behavioral issues. So what I began to notice about myself and the entire classroom is that there's a ton of anxiety. And in that particular world that I live in during my profession, there's what's called stemming. And that's when you might be tapping a pencil, tapping your foot, doing some kind of things that is movement coordinated to keep you grounded. And then I began to notice that I too was stemming or rocking back and forth because I couldn't stand all of the movement that was in front of me eight hours a day. And I had to ground myself to keep myself in the room. And at that time, I wasn't in the beginning of the year, I wasn't practicing uh, with you all. Although I did listen occasionally on Saturdays or whatever. And then in February, what happened to me is a couple of different things. I decided 
at what point does my health take over and I escape what I'm in daily? Or what do I do to fix the problem? Because I was not a happy girl. And I came really close to quitting my job because I could not handle the stimming and the anxieties going on in the classroom. So I decided to pay a lot more attention to the meetings because we had, as you well know, Adam living with us as well. And I needed to provide him with an environment that was cohesive. And although I was listening on Thursdays, Tuesdays and Saturdays, I was not involved at that much prior to letting myself be known that I was in the background. So at that point in time, I started meditating the best I could, which was not much, but I gave myself credit for the two or three minutes that I could do. And then I noticed, and I think I made a comment sometime in March, I noticed a huge relief from my being and understanding things a lot more on why things are the way they are. But anxiety, I found my through my process, what I found was is anxiety is contagious. And once I realized that point, I found ways to develop to get rid of the contagion. I hope. Then thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. I think Becky had something. Anyone else? Yeah, Becky. To uh, Zach and Julie, Julia. Julia? I was just going to say to Julia, you're talking about how do you do this during your day? Yeah. And the only nugget, as my daughter says, is really came from her. Um, when you're going through your day and something happens that causes you stress, somebody says something, you feel it. You feel something rise up in you. You feel it. You, it's like, oh, something's wrong. I feel, I feel uneasy. I feel stressed. I feel angry. I feel, but it, you feel it when it happens. And the concentration that you're trying to develop, instead of reacting to that immediately and making it worse for yourself. If you have that concentration, you can go, oh yeah, this is something. Let me take a breath. Let me try to see if I can uh, figure out what's going on here and respond appropriately and be present for this moment rather than being sucked into the chasm and, you know, 10 minutes later, you realize that you said and did all kinds of things that are making you so unhappy right now. <laughs> it's resonating deeply yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, Becky. Thank you.
There's a lot of teachers in this room today. Yeah. And by the way, your other question about what Ehipasiko is? Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh. get that. A lot of times the Buddha would, would um, especially when he was talking to somebody who came to him new, he would ex expound the Dharma and explain and then he would finish by saying, Ehi Pasiko, come and see. Oh, um, Ehi Pasiko. Ehi Pasiko. Yeah. Come and see. Do this. This is not something that I can, you know, give to you. This is something that you do. And, and in, in the, again, the, in this chapter, he says it a few times. This is something to be done. Come and see for yourself. It really means come and see for yourself. All right. I think that's unintentional. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, shall we? Um, anything else, Julia? No, I'm great. Thanks. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much for your questions. Uh, David. Awesome. David's good. Sorry, I didn't hear. I'm all set, Tom. Thanks. Man. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, does anyone by any chance have, have Meta? Um, I don't I don't have it on my Yep. Great class, Tom. Thank you, Tom. You. All right. <clears throat> take a moment, take a breath. The Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what is to be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle of speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the way the wise would later re reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful not to deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. 
by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, the abandoned ignorance of four noble truths, having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you, Ram. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. See you guys soon. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, one more thing. The is finally published. It's in Kindle format right now on Amazon in a paperback and hardcover. Congratulations, John. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.